You've got a tune to KEXP. You can find us at 90.3 FM in Seattle, streaming around the world at KEXP.org. I'm Cheryl Waters, live in the studios with Johnny Marr and his fantastic band. Welcome. It's nice to be here. Hi. I am absolutely in love with your new album, Call the Comet. I Thank cannot you. play it enough. And oh, you're going to start off with a couple of songs from that, yeah? Yeah, we're going to start off with a song called Bug. Should we do it now? Absolutely. Here we go.
today. You're listening to Johnny Marr live in the KEXP studios playing a song from the new album called The Comet that sounded fantastic. Thank so you. so great to have you here. Johnny Marr playing at the Showbox tonight here in Seattle. Tomorrow you can catch him at the Roseland in Portland, Oregon. Want to play another song? Sure, yeah. This one's called Hi, Hello.
That is Hi Hello from the new Johnny Marr album. That sounds fantastic. Thank you. I was lucky enough to see, well, I've seen you play a number of times, but I saw you in Seattle on uh, your last two albums, The Messenger and Playland. And every live show that you play um, seems like you're just wanting it to be the best show that you ever played. You always bring so much energy to your yeah. live performance. Well, thanks. Um, I'm glad that comes across because uh, that is the way I feel, really. I think, uh, you know, when you do a show, nothing else is really going on. There's been no past, no future. You're trying to really, really be in that moment. And partly because I think it's uh, doing shows is just such a great event. It's such a great pastime and... Um, it's it's a, it's a it's a great thing to be able to do, and I like going to shows. So uh, I'm not really I'm not casual about it. I think that's the thing. Um, um, not to say that I take it seriously, but I, I just think it's a it's a great thing to be involved in, you know. So, and I happen for a living to um, very very be very fortunate that for a living I I plug into plug my guitar into a very loud bunch of speakers, and uh, people want to listen. And um, it's been that way for quite a long time now. So uh, as more time goes on, that uh, that notion is kind of uh, uh, kind of precious to me, really. And then other times you just go on, you're just trying to not screw up. You know, it's not always so conceptual. Well, we live in chaotic times, and I've heard you say before that you feel like art and music stands for hope, and that you do feel very privileged to be able to make that art and music. But you right. want that to come out through your music. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, w I always did associate music with hope. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be political, but, um, you know, from being a, a kid going out to school or college or, um, you know, getting on the, on the train, going to work or, or whatever, it just... Uh, the music uh, and following bands and everything just it always used to sort of take me out of myself, really. And, um, and then, as a, you know, I, I got... Uh, you know, past just being into music, then all kinds of art did the same thing for me. So um, it's a way of kind of lifting you up, I think. So, uh, and, you know, just come back to live shows again. I mean, that's that's the best thing you can get from a live show, that you this sort of feeling of being kind of lift, lifted out of your life for uh, for an hour and a half. That's a pretty powerful thing. So, yeah, I, I still believe that music is about hope, yeah. And, of course, when it's when it's more directly... Uh, message based if it's, it can be very uh very uh, you know there's the, the, um specifically uh political or have an agenda and uh, there's been really really good things done with that you know for since particularly since the post-war movement whether it's the 60s 70s 80s and current day it's clear that you're an unbridled fan of music and that goes back to your childhood you yeah. listen to a lot of music and um it sounds really creepy to know so much about someone, but I, I've I've followed a few of your bands and uh, yeah. been a fan for a long time. And I read your autobiography, "Set the Boy Free." That's so. not creepy. That's nice. <laughs> I wish more people knew, knew about that stuff. But I know how much you love music and how important you feel like that relationship is with the fan. You knew at a young age that you wanted to be in a guitar-based band, even though you listen to a lot of styles of music. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well. Uh... I think being a fan's a, a, a really uh, 
it's a cool thing, you know, um, and I, I don't think it's necessarily something that you need to kind of grow out of either. I try and sort of keep that flame, really, an, uh, of being a fan alive. You know, in my case, <clears throat> excuse me, it was people like uh, Patty Smith, really. And um, so that feeling of uh, appreciation and, and uh, admiration is... Uh, I know what that feels like, and I try and keep that going, you know, in myself. Uh, I don't see any reason why it, it shouldn't be there. But yeah, it started off as a as very, very young kid because my parents were really uh, quite obsessive fans of music and still are, and they bought records. So I grew up in a house of, of like of real music and record 45 freaks, you know. Oh, lucky and, you. Uh, yeah, um, my parents were very young. So um, yeah, so that kind of stuck with me really. And I, I, saw, I, I saw that behavior from, from being very young. And yeah, so I grew up in a household, as I say, of real record freaks. And, um, and my parents still are, funny enough. They, they, they go out a lot and go see singer-songwriters and everything. So uh, I don't really know any, any different. And uh, I've never seen any reason to grow out of it, I don't think. Do they get out to your shows? Yeah, they do come out to the occasional show, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when did you pick up the guitar and what was that like? Because so many uh, musicians very um, extreme, extremely proficient guitarists in their own right say they can't do what you do. I mean, they can watch you on stage, but yeah. they can't replicate your sound. How did you develop that? Um, I think, well, I started off uh, as, you know, as, uh, I got my first guitar when I was a little boy and it was a toy. It was a little wooden thing and it was my favourite toy and I used to carry it around everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, I was kind of obsessed with it and um, you couldn't play anything on it but I could just carry it around you know like a teddy bear or something and um, cuddle it you know and um, so I, d I did that and then I was just you know I just needed one that I could learn to play on so I think um, I think getting your own style together uh, I'd imagine it should be the same now I don't see any reason why it isn't but it definitely in my generation growing up through the mid and late 70s uh, it was the thing to have your own sound, have your own distinctive original sound. Uh, that was very, very important. Um, I guess it's still, I'd like to think it's still important for people now, but that to me was a paramount really. And, uh, and my friends too. And I, I grew up in an environment, the, the uh, council estate that I grew up on, there was a load of guitar players. So I was very lucky that, um, I, you know, there was a lot of older guys who, who were real guitar aficionados. So my life was just always in the, in the, uh, sort of pursuit of uh, playing the guitar. But I'm not a particularly... T I don't think I'm a technical guitar player, but what I do is kind of uh, sort of quite unique to me. So, yeah, quite a few guitar players. I've heard some people sort of talk about it like it's baffling, but um, some of the people that I've listened to over the years, they really are baffling. So uh, I guess it's like, it's, it's like trying to, in some ways, it's probably like trying to replicate someone's a signature or a thumbprint or something. You just... You get kind of close to it, but you can't really quite do it. So uh, it's just acts, acts, a combination of um, a life of obsession and accidental kind of getting some things wrong and doing things your own way, taking shortcuts that end up sort of sounding clever, maybe. You used the word lucky a minute ago, and I've heard you call yourself lucky in some interviews and yeah. writing, but you have also been clear to say that you went after your luck. And I felt that that, you know, that the specificity in that, the designation of that was very interesting because you can't just sit around waiting for luck and you seem to be very inspired and driven. You've gone after your good luck. Yeah. Well, I think a bit of that, quite a lot of that is growing up in a working, very working class family, to be honest. I think it's just 
just uh, almost uh, again, you know, uh, there was no question of me. Uh, I wasn't even going to go to college. Really, that wasn't really on the cards for sort of my generation of working class people. Really, only only a handful of people did that. Um, I just wanted to drop out and play the guitar. But uh, yeah, sort of driven. Uh, um, work ethic, I guess, look. Um, you know, there is that phrase, like, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Maybe a little bit of that happened. But, um, and, and to be honest, desperation, I think. Desperation to get out of my sort of, um, my, the circumstances which seemed to me um, to be a, a, a future of uh, boredom in the suburbs at the very best, you know. And being skint and being broke. So a combination of all that kind of crazy, almost mystical uh, appreciation of music, which I think is not overstating things. I'm still like that now, and I'm, all right. I'm okay with that. I do think there's a mystical side of music, and it's a bit too late for me to, to change that. Uh, that crossed with coming from a working-class background and, um, and being broke, it kind of gets you off the couch and knocking on people's doors and and uh, sleeping in rehearsal room floors. And uh, I, do you know what, as well, I, all of that stuff was great to me. Oh, I couldn't wait to sign up for all of that. I was fine with sleeping on couches. It sounded great. It's worked out okay for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sleep on a bunk right now. You, um, you certainly haven't let the grass grow under your feet, though, and you've been lucky to um, have a lot of people, great people supporting you, and clearly you love to collaborate. In fact, it'd be wonderful if you introduced your band. Sure, yeah. Um, well, me, me and the boys have been together now for about seven years. Time goes by so quick. Uh, on the bass guitar is Ewan Grono. Ewan's from Cornwall, and we first worked together uh, with, on the drums, Jack Mitchell, who's from Manchester, um, Ewan and Jack and I first worked together when these two guys were in the rhythm section of a band called Haven, great band that I produced a while back. And and then on guitars and keyboards is James Doviak, who co-produces the records with me. And um, me and James have been working together now for um, about 15 years now. Don't run away, James. Don't we run away, run, I'll give you that news. <laughs> we don't have enough hours in a day to talk about all the people that you have worked with, Haven, Marion, you produced, yeah. uh, Modest Mouse, uh, Pet Shop Boys, The Pretenders, it goes on and on yeah. and on, all the bands you've been in. I do want to talk uh, for a second about one very cool collaboration. Uh, la late last year, I saw the most amazing video. It really was like a little documentary. Um, you worked with Maxine Peek on that, um, oh, right. The Priest. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, that uh, Maxine Peake is, is a very revered and respected actor um, out of the north of England. Uh, she's been around for about 15, I guess 15, 20 years or so now she's been doing the stuff, Maxine. Uh, and um, we, um, I had this idea of doing a different kind of music that wasn't so song-based. And uh, I just knew I wanted to play guitar uh, and get away from regular kind of songs. And I had this idea of spoken word over the top of it. And the very first sort of idea I had was, was Maxine, because um, who I didn't know then, but I was a fan of. And um, she's amazing. And um, anyway, her, her and I got together and we, we got along. And then we, I started writing some music with James. Um, and Maxine would provide some uh, text and document, um, some uh, just uh, spoken words on top of it. And anyway, the priest came about because of a 
a blog that was written by a writer who had found himself on the streets for uh, quite a while. And he'd written this, he's a, uh, a story of his experiences being homeless. And Maxine was inspired to arrange it and then gave it me as a spoken word and then I put the music behind it. And, um, and it was great, it was a tremendous thing, it was like really inspired. We've, there's other things that I've done with Maxine that hopefully we've got to finish when we get the time. She's always working on films and you know, me and the boys have been making this record so hopefully we'll get a chance to finish the thing with Maxine. But if people go on YouTube and they look for Johnny Ma and Maxine Peake, the priest, uh, they'll see this cool little film we made with this also a, a young up-and-coming actress called Molly Windsor who's recently just won a BAFTA for Young Actress, Best Young Actress. And uh, Molly plays uh, the part of uh, this uh, person out on the street um, to the to mine and Maxine's track. And, and it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. It's kind of an interesting sort of slant on, on what it's like living on the street. It's not what you would think it would be. So that was really inspiring. And um, it's nice that you mentioned it because I wasn't sure whether people were as aware of it in the United States as they are in the UK because it kind of went under the radar a little bit. So it's nice to be able to talk about it. It is really quite amazing, and Molly really is outstanding. Yeah, Molly's amazing. She's, 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 I guess she's 20, 21. But as I say, she won a BAFTA for a very, very challenging and impressive role in a thing, a TV series called Three Girls, which is a true, very harrowing sort of story. So we were very, very lucky. That was kind of top of my wish list was to work with Maxine, and that happened. And then, then when we did the track, I had this idea of working with Molly and then she was up for it. So lucky, luckily the work's good enough for people to want to work on it. You know, it's not, it's not just, you know, you have to actually do something cool for people to want to do it. So uh, that's, that's when you have to roll your sleeves up and do something good. But the track's cool. Well, speaking of cool, Call the Comet, which is what you're here today playing and talking about, is so wonderful. And I know your first two, your second record was actually written while you were touring on the first yeah. record. So that was kind of a whirlwind. A few more years went by. Obviously, it sounds like you've been really busy, but you've said that this record's a little bit more dramatic, a little bit more emotional. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, well, that's right. Well, 2014, we put Playland out and then we were touring because it's really important to us, all four of us, that, uh, that we're a live band. And uh, it was always the intention to uh, write Playland on, on the road. But so anyway, we were touring that and then I wrote a book in 2016 and then me and the fellas did the album um, in 2017. That brought us up to, that's why there was the gap between Playland and this one. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, I went in there with the, to the writing of the record with James co-producing uh, with no real agenda of what we were going to do um, and no, not direction, but no, uh, yeah, no agenda. Uh, I just wanted to follow my feelings, really. And the world had changed quite a lot um, in the last couple of years. Uh, both our countries, had, you know, uh, there'd been a lot of uh, upheaval and change. And I found that I was just kind of emotionally follow, trying to escape in a way, really, just as a person, doing what I did, used to do when I was 15, which was right tracks to escape the outside world and um you know uh and that, i think that's why it's more dramatic so in other words the first two albums uh, i had a very strong feeling that the songs should be really all punchy and quite short and um sort of kind of new wavy you know so that we could really play these really upbeat live shows uh and because um we call the comic because i was i was just going in blank piece of paper, nothing on tape, 
Oh, we had one song, Spiral Cities, which is in itself is quite dramatic. But uh, I was kind of feeling, you know, I guess I was feeling emotional and a bit dramatic, I suppose, <laughs> because about halfway through the record, I, I realised that, you know, the songs were fit sounding like that. And, um, uh, and so it, it turned out by just following your instincts uh, and not having a, a plan um, that the record is, is different from the others. <laughs> and it it's, you know, seems to be quite popular. And I, I think when you do something that's got emotion in it, I'm very proud of the first two records. There's some great songs in it, but I think people react to emotional content. They can feel it. They can hear it in the melodies and and in some of the words. And um, that song we just did, "Hi Hello," maybe that wouldn't have made it on the first two records because it's very personal. You know, it's a song. It's very about unconditional love. You know, but um, and I would have perhaps censored that on the first two records because I wanted to just not I, avoid singing about myself. But the more uh, emotional bits on the record seems to be very, seems to be quite popular. So I might have to do more of that. Singing about me. Just keep doing more. That's sure, all we want. You. We're live here in the KEXP studios with Johnny Marr. Call the Comet is the brand new record. They're playing tonight at the Showbox here in Seattle. They've been so kind to come into the KEXP studios today. And they're going to play a couple more songs. Okay. This is one that people might recognize. <laughs>
Johnny Marr, live on KEXP. It's incredible to think that an album and songs written over 35 years ago have such staying power. And probably when you were in your 20s, I want to say you didn't know that you were going to be in this band for less than a decade that would go on to have legendary status and be beloved for decades. But when you talk about, you know, when I read your book, you're like, it sounds like... Every band in Manchester feels like they're going to attain legendary status. You sounded like you were, you signed up from the get-go, but, you know, you're so down-to-earth. It's just, I mean, well, I can't imagine what it feels like to be so beloved. Well, I, yeah, I don't really know how to answer that one, to be honest with you. I think the bit about um, people in Manchester, the culture that I came out of with the Smiths um, was a very, uh, for a bunch of reasons that it's too long to go into, but it was a very inspired kind of culture. Um, there was Factory Records was in town, so all the bands that people kind of know about, New Order and Certain Ratio, Joy Division, etc., The Fall, blah, blah, you know. Uh, that was all, everyone was living, you know, around the block from each other. Everyone's rehearsing in the same rehearsal rooms. And um, so I guess... The, the, there was a sort of aspiration in a way, you know, the bar was kind of high in terms of aspiration. I don't mean in terms of making a load of dough and being big, although when that became a prospect, then everyone just went for it. I mean, of course, you know, I mean, I'm thinking like New Order became a very big band and the Smiths came a very, became a very big band. But when we first started out, all those bands I mentioned, we were just, I guess, uh, trying to trying to be a relevant we're all trying to be relevant what i would say street bands you know after the punk movement we were trying to do cool stuff that actually wasn't commercial the commercial thing everybody learned to write songs joy division learned to write something like love will tear us apart the smiths learned to write what difference does it make and 
you know, then you had Happy Mondays and the Roses and Oasis and all of that stuff that's been written about loads. Um, but uh, this, the culture we came out of was actually perversely uncommercial. And there's something um, very powerful in that. I think the bands who, you can tell the bands who are into it for something. Who, well, let's put it this way, you can tell the bands who are into it just to be commercial. Fine, there's nothing, you know, whatever whatever floats your boat, that's fine. But um, the bands that all the, all the people I mentioned, you know, we did revere the, the Velvet Underground and we revered Brian Eno and those kind of people. So it was a great... Uh, I'm getting very, very nostalgic now. You shouldn't have started me. <laughs> I'm feeling nostalgic right along with you. Of course, I love all those bands as well. But, um, I mean, there is something you spoke about, trusting your gut, and you were just playing music that you love, maybe wanting to impress your friends, yeah. get, get people out to I, shows. I think that's a great... Most most musicians, uh, certainly, maybe other artists, don't about actors or t- your comedians, I'd say, uh, they, they just want to impress their friends, really. The trick is making sure you've got some pretty discerning friends really I guess but yeah first and foremost you want you want your mates to think that your band is cooler than the band that they just saw from London the night before I think well you got all that one-upmanship and then you end up with that incredible rich music scene yeah yeah it must have been insanely wonderful to be a part of that yeah well you do have to uh, you do have to uh, get down to actually writing the music at some point though yes then there's that you know so and again you know all the bands that are, are revered uh, they all got in. They all got in and worked pretty hard, you know. Because I know all, we all we all know each other. All those guys, we do, we do, you know. We, I get asked that, and you know the Mondays and the Roses and everybody. Yeah, we all we all knew each other, and everyone just hold, locked themselves away in a rehearsal room, but um, uh, and really slugged it out and learned to do stuff the hard way. But and partly the reason for that, I'm, and I've been asked for thirty odd years why that it is, it is because we come from a, a sort of uh, a very rainy city. As we do here in Seattle. I know that, yes. And um, <laughs> You asked me earlier if I grew up here <laughs> and most of my life, yeah. That's a big part of it. And when I first started coming to the United States, when I first visited Seattle, uh, I, it did remind me of Manchester. And I lived in Portland, Oregon, when I joined Modest Mouse in 2005 for quite a number of years, well, for four years or so. So I was I was up and down the coast there. And... Um, and and I, I still haven't changed that opinion, really, that Manchester, the relationship between Portland and Seattle is, is quite like the relationship between Sheffield and Manchester. Similar kind of vibe. Um, Did you enjoy your time in Portland? Yeah, I loved it. It was it was great, yeah. We're, go, we're going there tomorrow, so I'm going to look up some friends and uh, check out the food trucks. <laughs> I know you're a huge soccer fan, football for you. Oh, we yeah. have a huge rivalry um, with the Timbers. Um, we're very proud of our Seattle team, the Sounders. I know that. Please don't tell me you were... Rooting for the Timbers when you were living in Portland. Oh, I'm going to have to put my guitar down now. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to Portland tomorrow, so I can't answer that. <laughs> we do have Portland listeners. All right, I won't put you on the spot there. We're live here in the KEXP studios. Johnny Marr and his fabulous band are playing at the Showbox tonight, and they have one more song to share with us. Thank you. This is off the album Playland. This is called Easy Money.
KEXP Studios playing tonight at the Showbox here in Seattle. Call the Comet, great new album. So great to have you here. Thank nice you all so there. much. Thanks for having us. You've got it tuned to KEXP Seattle. <laughs> 